Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. This is part two of our discussion of the ancient serpent seed theory, that is to say the idea that Eve had sex with the serpent in the Garden of Eden and conceived one or more children. In our last episode, we considered the Gnostic versions of the theory, also medieval Jewish myths and racist interpretations of the concept. Today, we're going to consider more modern ways of reading the serpent seed idea that steer clear of, well, at least overt racism. We're going to revisit some old friends and discover new ideas about how the serpent seed might connect with the theory of evolution and also extraterrestrials. My name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson, and Savannah Barrett is here every time we talk about things that come out of the sky. Uh, yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> Are you? Uh, a resident sky watcher. Yeah, because you got to keep an eye out for those drones. I, for those drones. But then sometimes you see a UFO and you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be watching the sky. Is that a Chinese balloon? What am I looking at? <laughs> Is it is it extraterrestrial Adam and Eve? Either what way, is I, this? Ignorance is bliss. I want that instead. <laughs> Johnny Cook is here, our patron progenitor. Savannah is a sister of the eighty fourth. I don't know if I said that. You did not. Degree. Well, it's important. And strange rider. You are a strange rider. We'll get to that in the plugs. <laughs> okay. Uh, Johnny, how are things? It's been a while. It has been a minute. I am very excited to be back. Talking about that serpent seed. I've always wanted to talk about seed of serpents. <laughs> And I've got Andrew Mims here, whose title cannot be spoken aloud. Hi, howdy, hello. Have you ever heard this idea that the snake had sex with Eve? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Is I it... think I've heard you mention it. Yeah, I'm kind. Of, I love this. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I lo I love hate it. It's like a, those conspiracy theories. I get so wound up about this is one. I guess among them, it can inform a lot of conspiracy theory today. It's it's there. It sounds sort of similar to the to the Lilith and Adam thing yes okay yeah, yeah kind of tangentially related that's coming up in the next two-part episode but yes nice. <laughs> also brandon wallace is here uh doing a special voice thing for us one of our voice boys brandon how are things i'm good had i known about the serpent seed theory i would have delivered my lines as adam very differently oh in the last episode yeah. well that wasn't serpents that was just regular adam. Oh, gotcha. as normal vanilla adam yeah that dude's boring yeah. <laughs> <laughs> today not so vanilla here on a call Did he also have sex with the snake? Adam? Did they have a threesome with the <laughs> Pledge it out. We, the members of the, of the secret, secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Boy, that, was, that got really awkward right before we pledged. I got. I haven't done that pledge in a while. That, I'm surprised. I, I. That stuff was in my muscle memory. I started doing the strange ride one i uh, said to keep and i was like no no that's not correct <laughs> you Let's... really want to plug this show savannah oh, go ahead and it's... open up the order of confessors make a sound now officially you can talk about strange ride I, it's just on the brain because yeah. I've been writing an episode for it. So well, it's what are like, we working on right uh, now? <laughs> I'm going to be talking about the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, the uh, very, very expensive Star Wars hotel, I say in quotation marks, that Disney created and then closed within a year of a, and a half of it being open. And <laughs> it, it closes at the end of September. So we're going to be talking about that and talking a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I'm and sorry. talking. We're 
gonna talk about, about it. That. We're gonna talk about the history of it, like how it was made, and then my personal experience on it because I was one of those crazy people who paid a lot of money to go to it. And we're gonna talk about tax write-offs. Oh, as and I tax understand. write-offs. <laughs> yes, Isn't it that exciting? Sucks so much. <laughs> it's so. Why is Disney shutting it down? It's a good question. Yeah, it's basically for tax write-off reasons and stuff. But we all get into all yeah, that. What is all that? So mean? Savannah, where can I find that episode? On Spotify, on... <laughs> Wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Is it in a Cult Confessions episode? It is not. It will be on the Strange Ride podcast. So oh, John, yeah. I probably should have said that. Yeah, search <laughs> Strange Ride on wherever you get your podcast. Search for Strange Ride. And if you don't find it, John, you just send me a message. Will do. All right. That goes for all y'all out Waiting there. Waiting with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> we have other episodes. We talked about uh, Disney's Epcot, the Spider-Man musical that... Like almost killed someone. And five oh, Nights Five Nights at Freddy's. Freddy's. I taught Rob about that. And we will get back to Five Nights at Freddy's. It's just I had to take a break because I couldn't think, I couldn't handle talking about it anymore, thinking about it anymore. And later this year, I will be debuting my first episodes on The Stranger Ad. I'll be doing a little piece on Gremlins and the PG-13 rating and uh, something about uh, how Jefferson's, not Jefferson Starship, but the Starship built this city on rock and roll. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> let's thank some patrons after all that i apologize we really got into a commercial there ryan J and iron mamba Ooh. trevor c and stephanie with an f kate chris emotional support wombat we could all use one of those right and clint h uh thanks for joining us i've got another list of patrons um that we'll get to uh next time uh we really appreciate folks joining up we have had a nice healthy list of patrons uh, since i i i don't know blackmailed you all into joining because i i kept the hubbard episode from you <laughs> i don't know if that's blackmail what am i doing i'm bribing you i bribed you all into joining patreon because i only gave you half of the hubbard series fair warning i'm going to be doing that again i'm already working on a two-part episode uh where one part will be here and the second part will be on patreon uh, and, and that's not because I'm mean. I love you all. It's because I, I we really do need patrons to pay our bills. We've got multiple shows running at this point, which means multiple websites and lots of, of actors to feed. Okay. John, can you make some sounds to close us up? <laughs> Pascal Beverly Randolph, one of the founders of American cult occultism and one of our very first episodes here on the show, an episode I have redone a couple times and we've actually covered my man a, uh, a couple times. Randolph conjured a more scientific version of the Garden of Eden, but managed to leave out all the racism in his theory of pre-Adamite man. We appreciate that. Makes sense. He was an African-American after all. He combined scientific, archaeological, and biblical evidence to argue in his book, Pre-Adamite Man, colon, demonstrating the existence of the human race upon this earth 100,000 years ago, exclamation point. You can put an exclamation point in your title? If you're Pascal Beverly Randolph, All you right, can. fair enough. <laughs> so if you wake up tomorrow and you're him, feel free. Ugh. Then I guess I have to start <laughs> writing a book. <laughs> In this book, he argued that Adam could not have possibly been the first man. <gasps> in 1820, French engineers uncovered a statue of Ramses, Ramses II, that is, while digging artesian wells. The statue's base was 12 feet deep, and the engineers estimated the age to be about 1,350 years. Now, that still allows for a possible Adam, if we figure the Earth is 6,000 years old. 
But wait. Randolph compared the rate of the vertical rise of the Nile Delta, which is three and a half inches per century, with the additional 32-foot depth of accompanying pottery discovered underneath the statue to conclude that the artifacts were 13,500 years old. There goes the Garden of Eden, at least 6,000 years ago. I thought that's a clever method. So they found the statue, and then they found these pots further down. And he, do you see what I'm saying? Like yes. he calculated how the Nile would have built up over time, and he figured that that's how long it would have taken. But right. he believes that Earth was only or has only been around for 6,000 years? No, not necessarily. Oh, he's hey. just like, this gets rid of the... He's showing us, mathematically, Adam and Eve could not have been 6,000 years ago if people were making pots. I got it. had to be at was, least 13,000 years old. Unless the wombats <laughs> were making pots 13,000 years ago. Randolph proved that the statue didn't sink because that's a possibility, mm -hmm. by observing that smaller objects at the same level should have been higher up if the heavy statue had sunk, but they weren't. So everything was just at the level where it landed, and then it got covered over. In the archaeological record, the oldest known pottery, this is true, is Chinese and dates to roughly 20,000 years ago today. So that's our giving Randolph his props here. His, rand his claims are plausible, given what we know about archaeology, mm -hmm. even though he's writing in the 1860s, 1870s. Oh, wow. Okay, that this makes that a lot more impressive. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, was, I didn't realize what time period we were in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, well, first American occultist, so yeah, it's oh, 1870s. Yeah. This clever reasoning is Randolph's opening onto his case against Adam. Brandon, let's hear a little bit from Pre-Adamite Man, exclamation point. I do not deny, as many others, that 6,000 years ago there lived a man in the East, the father of a tribe, nor that his name was Adam. But I do maintain that he was neither the first man, the only man, or the only man of that name. The Chinese records tell us that Puanku, the primeval man who came out of the mundane egg, that he lived 18,000 years ago, and that they speak of events that transpired among their ancestors 129,600 years ago. When God said in Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our own image, God's meaning was, let us create other men in another and better moral mold than those who now exist. So, if I'm reading that right, is he saying that Adam isn't the first man or first human He's just the first human in that new improved image. Yes. He's the new man. Uh, okay. And was Eve still made from his rib or whatever? I don't think Randolph goes in for okay. that kind of thing. <laughs> I can't recall anything specific about that, but no, that seems silly. <laughs> Randolph doesn't brook no silliness. Randolph Maybe there's some sort of like analogy for dust and ribs that we don't know about. We'll, yep. we'll get to the, there's some rib conversation to be had, but we'll get there. You guys are too anxious to talk about ribs. <laughs> I'm just hungry. <laughs> Randolph also sees clues to this truth in Genesis 6-4, a verse that's already received lots of attention on this show. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of gods went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old. Men of renown. The sons of God in the Nephilim quote refer to a different race of humans, not descended from Adam. Some writers, he says, have claimed that these sons of God were spiritual beings, but this cannot be possible, seeing that such are neither in the habit of marrying flesh and blood women, nor capable of becoming the fathers of such a goodly race of mortals, as became the mighty men of old. 
The Nephilim were not literal giants, but men of great stature, as the passage says. Men of renown. It's been a weird reading that they're demons, but it's very common that the Nephilim are demons. But Randolph is saying, no, it says they're men of renown. The progeny of non-Adamites and Adamites were capable of greatness, as opposed to the racist theories that labeled them evil or inferior. God did not destroy humanity in the flood, but only the Adamites, saving only Noah and his family from that particular line. The other races, including the sons of God, were worthy of being spared, suggesting that these groups were not spiritually inferior. So one thing I've heard from different Christian circles is that there's like an interpretation of the Nephilim as like um, giants and other like mythological sort of creatures. Mm -hmm. Like when um, they went into Canaan for the first time and they reported back, oh, there's giants everywhere. We can't do that. That. <laughs> Like, we can't go in there. So I've, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that the, those were descendants of the Nephilim. Yes. Like, they were just, like, sort of, like, monstrous, giant, like, super-powered humanoids. But not good, right? I would assume not since, since <laughs> like, um, Israel, quote-unquote, was, like, set to destroy them. Yeah. Um, but I haven't heard, like, an intrinsic good or bad it's a little titany, like the Greek gods and the Titans. Yeah. I always think about them. They're when just I think like a precursor. The yeah. And they but they're need not to be inherently bad. Yeah. Well, in Enoch, they have to be destroyed, the giants. I grew up without religion, so I don't, I've never heard this word before. Nephilim? Mm hmm. You ever played Diablo 3? No, I have not. <laughs> okay. I've, I brought this up in a, in a previous yeah, episode that I was on. Yeah. But essentially, like um, in Diablo, the Nephilim are essentially um, when devils and angels procreate what's mm. left is like a like a superior humanoid being that, that has cool. that has like a, the mixture of darkness and light which makes them superior to beings of all darkness and all light the enochian version is that it was humans and angels that had sex but they were fallen angels mm. and that this then produced a race of giants Randolph's edit here is that no, it was pre-Adamite men and Adamite men who produced just you know pretty cool guys. <laughs> they were just cool dudes. <laughs> They're just cool dudes. That's all. And and gals. Oh yeah. Dudes. Sorry, and, dudes. And ladies covers all for me. But right. Dudes and dudettes. Yeah. <laughs> the dude abides. <laughs> Uh, in the story of Adam and Eve and their offspring, Cain and Abel each had professions that suggested more people existed among them. I had never thought about this, but this is so clever. So this is what Randolph says. He says, Abel was a shepherd and tended a flock of sheep, and Cain tilled the land. Why tend a whole ass flock of sheep <laughs> and start anything bigger than like a kitchen garden if you aren't feeding a bunch of people how much wool and wheat do four people need are they not allowed to have hobbies <laughs> <laughs> they're just gathering wool <laughs> stacking it up oh, i got like five hours left to do i might as well till the rest of this field it's <laughs> like how many coats do you guys think i need we just Make love you scarves. mom what y'all want <laughs> both occupations would have been too commercial to serve merely two kids and their parents says randolph before Cain is banished from the company of mom and dad, Cain worries to God that everyone that findeth me shall slay me, even though in theory there's no others to slay him. God's mark on Cain further emphasizes that there were other humans to threaten his safety. So God agrees. After Cain murdered Abel, God said, 
anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. But who's going to find him if he walks away from the only people on earth? Mm. You see? There's only three guys. He killed if he one of them. to walk back and meet his mom and dad again, <laughs> maybe they'll kill him. him. Yeah. Oh, no, there's a mark on him. I was going to kill my son. Oh, yikes. In fact, Randolph says, for there to be anyone who could slay Cain, such a person must have belonged to a race antecedent to Adam's to give them time to grow and multiply. Getting to a more common line of pre-Adamite argument, Cain's wife could not have been his sister, since Adam and Eve are not recorded as having any daughters at the time when Cain was with them. This is John's uh, issue uh, offline. And such a union would be incest. Cain left their presence and found a wife, so that wife must belong to a pre-Adamite, or at least non-Adamite race. This is a core question for people who read Genesis. Your people read the Bible closely. Yeah. Every time I've asked questions like this, it's not really had a great answer. They should have Randolph on hand. It's non-Adamite races. So I don't remember Adam and Eve ever having a recorded daughter. Is that true? I recently reread Genesis and now. So that would imply that this new race. You just read it in your free time? I have inspired Surprisingly, I am religious. Oh. But I sent you stuff too. I probably got you thinking. Yeah. So you that, didn't know Mims had commitments? I don't make it a big deal <laughs> around like other people. It's my, it's my own personal thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it is what it is. I it's grew up in a household it. where it just like didn't exist. So I, whenever somebody follows like a strict religion, I'm like, huh? <laughs> Most of the people on the show have. I mean, that's how I keep them around, I think, right? <laughs> You're it's, interested it's in the subject yeah. matter. Yeah. I just You're about... one of the few that are on the outside yeah, of Yeah, I just talk about video games with them. So. <laughs> You're our pop culture person, but yeah. Like that's Riley, John, <laughs> Evangeline. Uh, well, I knew that. Sean, Priest. I knew that. Yeah, it's most of my, yeah, most of the crew. Olivia, really, honestly, raised very religious. Jake, very, raised very religious. Hmm. Yeah. Fun fact. Oh, I feel left out. <laughs> We can start. You want me to give you... No, I'm good. (laughs) So give you a crash course. (laughs) Absolve you of your sins. (laughs) I'm good. I'll keep them. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead, John. So uh, if there's no record of Adam and Eve ever having a daughter, that would imply that in order for their line to procreate at all, or if they've had even more sons past Cain and Abel, like if there's no record of that, that would imply that Adam and Eve are the only ever new improved humans well they have seth okay seth is but even biblical. then he would have to procreate with someone who's not if they never had a daughter i believe correct it's i think that the standard interpretation you just read this mims is that while no daughters are named their exclusion is not a mark of their absence okay yeah. uh, that's kind of what is that is that just an interpretation or does it actually say that it's an interpretation okay the if you look in the Old Testament, a lot of it is interpretation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it could be read because there's also a sort of like a... Um, I don't know if this is ever addressed either, but the fact that the lifespans keep decreasing... Yes, I think that's a product of... Is is the, like the inter... Uh, I don't I want to say interbreeding because that sounds weird, but like the 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 new improved in God's image Adam and Eve line getting mixed with the 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 pre-adamite race 
I, of humans. I mean, Randolph may say yes, but I think if you read it in a traditional fashion, it is the presence of the tree of life that then goes further into the background. Okay. Right, Mims, wouldn't you? I always read it as people thousands and thousands of years ago were really bad at keeping time. <laughs> Like, that's not even a joke. That's just kind of how I interpreted that. How old are you, Adam? I don't know, like 900? <laughs> Considering what we just talked about with the pottery and the 6,000 year theory, that kind of tracks. I'm like yeah. 400 cubits old. <laughs> I'm many moons old. How old are you, Seth? 650? I Feels right. In the existence of pre-Adamite humans allows for an alternative interpretation of the Bible's oldest book, Job. Now, here's where things get a little funky. In Job, God points out to Satan, his servant, that Job is faithful and righteous and worships him. And Satan says to God, he only worships you because he has a good life and plenty of sons and daughters and wealth. I love Job, as does Carl Jung. If Job was made to suffer, he would turn on his God, says Lucifer. So God takes away Job's house and his family and his wealth and his health. Kills all the kids, right? Crashes the roof. Ooh. Yeah. Took yeah, a it's, turn, didn't it? It's pretty <laughs> hardcore. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's, 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 it's pretty fucked up it's a dark story but job still worships god so god gives him all his stuff back randolph says that satan in job is not a single maleficent entity but rather a class of idolaters opposed to the pre-adamite sons of god and the adamites randolph makes the odd comment that job seems to suggest the pre-adamites had an understanding of science and perhaps even a telegraph how he reaches this conclusion I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> telegraph? <laughs> telegraph, yeah. Uh, anyhow, but the larger point is that there are these pre-Adamite sons of God and these Adamites, and there are also these anti-Godites, I suppose. So Satan is not really like walking among people or you know debating with God, because this is a theologically complex story. People really wrestle with Satan tempting God to do this business. Uh, but rather, Satan is these people who aren't worshiping God. It's this race of humans. Yeah, because mm -hmm. the the translation of Satan, from my understanding, just in that context, just meant adversary mm -hmm. and not necessarily Lucifer. Could be mm. regular people, just dudes, mean dudes. Yeah, just shitty dudes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Here come the shitty dudes. Oh, man. <laughs> not again. We have the good dudes. Now. Somebody get Job out of here. You need to make that into a play. <laughs> Job and the shitty dudes. <laughs> An epic in ten acts. The suggestion in Genesis that <laughs> oh, it should be a musical. We could be metal. Oh, can we have like? Can we? I would. I'm waiting for the ensemble of when all the children die in the house. The house crashes on them. All twelve of them are singing. It's a death metal. Yes, dirge. Oh, they're singing. Oh my god! Just drop D. <laughs> The children are dying. The suggestion. Oh, the The suggestion in Genesis that a whole race and many cultures and civilizations of humans sprung up so quickly is incoherent. All things advance from imperfection toward the perfect, says Randolph, but the progress is necessarily slow. Nations, languages, sciences, and arts grow gradually over time. They are like the cedar or the oak. They grow very slowly, live a long while, and die hard. Nations take thousands of years to develop and follow a life cycle similar to the human. 
birth, virility, maturity, age, death. This is pretty deep stuff, I think. Yeah. The central point for Randolph, at least when we put him in conversation with the British Israelites or Christian identity believers, is that the race of Cain was not inherently evil. Randolph believes, in contrast, in multiple perfectly legitimate origins for humanity in different times and places. It is impossible that any of the Nigrian races, the American Indian, many distinct varieties in both North and South America, and the Chinese, could have sprung from one common stock. It follows, then, that the idea of a single origin for all men must be abandoned, and only two other hypotheses are possible. First, that man sprung through the development process via baboons, gorillas, etc. Or, that he came into being at a score of points of locality and time. So, Randolph finds the monkey theory unlikely, given the amount of time required for humans to evolve from monkeys. I gotta be honest, he's not alone. I've read other people who have said, this is, like, if you think about how long it takes, it takes like a million years, I think, Dr. Heckhoff, a friend of mine told me, a biologist, about a million years for a species to evolve into something different. So if you think about the fact that, you know, a few hundred million years ago, there were giant lizards everywhere, it's kind of difficult to fully grasp how evolution got here, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it didn't. I'm not a doubter of evolutionary theory. It does make sense, but there are pieces that are missing. Yeah, but didn't like all the dinosaurs got wiped out really quickly, so they couldn't, they didn't necessarily, they didn't evolve. They just went away, and then whatever was left evolved. Tiny mice. You were a tiny mice. And And in 200 (laughs) steps, we get to you. Yeah, and the creatures that live in the water, right? Like yes. The, Maybe you weren't. Maybe you were a frog. So you got to go 200 steps from I frog to you. I really like swimming. So, <laughs> you know, maybe I was a frog. I can't swim. Oh, no. I was not the frog. You were not frog. You were a land frog. I was not an ambidextrous frog. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the question about the monkey. It's not like you see a monkey and you see a human and you're like, oh, yeah, that's easy. That was a one step deal. We're just one step away from those guys. You level up to level 16. (laughs) Yes. You just collected enough points and you leveled up. You killed enough guys. No. Um, So, in any case. His core idea is that multiple races came into being across the planet, all human, but with different skin tones and facial features and body types. But strict terrestrial materialism, with or without a racist bent, was not the only path to the serpent seed theory. So I think Randolph's is kind of the most scientific take on this problem. Scientists, I think, generally are just like, ah, Garden of Eden story, that's nonsense, and they move on. But Randolph took the time to try to put all the pieces together, which is cool. Uh, how does the myth reflect what actually happened? There was another path to elicit sex in the garden, and that path is via extraterrestrials. The Urantia book. Oh, God, yes. we're talking about this again? <laughs> Everybody's favorite book <laughs> was among the first articulations of an extraterrestrial serpent seed theory. The Arantia book multiplies the spiritual and physical trials and tribulations of Earth across a multiverse of galaxies. And so the authors argue that every local system of conscious beings receives its very own Adam and very own Eve to provide a biological uplift, oh, I'm sorry, biologic uplift to the species. These are the 
capitalized material, capitalized suns, the material suns birthed directly from the divine capitalized creator sun at the center of the multiverse. Their bodies are suited to the evolutionary development of the planet that they are destined to serve, and they range between 8 and 10 feet tall. These Whoa. Adams and Eves. You guys heard about this? This was on the Discord. Somebody was talking about Adam and Eve being super tall. We were just talking about giants. That sounds like Nephilim, doesn't it? It sounds Nephilim-y. Uh, but the idea was that, yeah, Adam and Eve had been j- 10 feet tall. The Arantia book apparently also says this, and I had forgotten that. I, I knew that it came up, but yeah, apparently the Arantia book also says that they were 10 feet tall. That's probably why they live so long. Because of their height? They, yes. could, they could see trouble coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just had really small feet. Oh, or they were just. Oh yeah, or or they were just really bad at like measuring. They're like, same idea. Same, I, how old are you, Dad? I'm 900 and I'm like 10 feet tall. What does 900 even mean, Dad? Well, know, I don't 900 know. what? 900 <laughs> me's. When you 900 measure things times. in cubits. <laughs> 900 times and like I don't know, 10 and a half feet. Toes. Yeah, well, Toby's dad's 910. <laughs> well, well, Toby's dad can suck it. My dad's older than your dad. <laughs> I'm the literally the first guy. <laughs> but what are we talking about? Ten and eight feet tall. So and Eve was eight feet tall. I assume and Adam was ten feet tall. They have material blood, but they glow with radiant violet celestial light and divine energy. They are immortal unless they rebel and cut themselves off from their divine source. Thirteen atoms have defaulted in this way, and 681,204 of their subordinates, most of them during the rebellion of Lucifer, who is a guy in the Urantia book who lives in the multiverse. Once Urantia, or Earth, had been deemed sufficiently developed to receive its Adam and Eve, the pre-Adamite humans, led by divine administrators, began preparing a Garden of Eden to receive them. All Adams and Eves tend to reside in such gardens wherever they are placed. An Adam and Eve, after volunteering for a mission, must be dematerialized at their original home at the system capital before they are transported and then rematerialized at their new home. I imagine this like the old Adam West Batman movie where where they turn the like UN into dust. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think they got they got dusted and then we rehydrate them back on Earth. Or it something. sounds kinda like the Willy Wonka. You know where he tur- where he turns them into like pixels? And oh yeah, yeah. It could somewhere be. Else? Yeah, maybe they're being like beamed like the internet. It's like Johnny Depp is at the center of the universe. <laughs> yeah. and, just... and then in Infinity War, in the newest Marvel movie, or in the like the last Avengers movie, they all turn into dust, and then in Endgame, they bring them all they back from dust. Them? They don't rehydrate them. They just snap this Cosmically special glove again. Yeah, mm, and it brings them back. Old bat- like but they're not undo older. after you delete something on accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it took them five years to do it. <laughs> Adam and Eve's primary role is to conceive and give birth to a higher race of Adamic people. So this is very Randolph, who are then interbred with the evolutionary race of the home planet and so elevate the species. Extremely Randolphian. If there is no rebellion or default, Adam and Eve remain in their Eden to serve as an exemplar of how society should function. So theoretically, if our Adam and Eve hadn't been of the 13 to break with God, or the material son, uh, then we'd be all right. They'd God still be here. damn it. We just got was, like, the, yeah. the shit end of the stick on We, we got, really yes. did. What the hell? Only 13 of them? 13. There's like, hun- I think there's ch- thousands of them, tens of thousands of them in the in the multiverse. Wow. Well, I guess yep. one universe had to, or 13 universes had to get. 13. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that's the number, too. Yeah. We're not yeah, alone. Right. Lucky number. Lucky 13. Yeah. 
In our world, there was a default, as we're talking about, and this means that we should not attempt to pattern ourselves after this Adamic system of evolution. Our Eden, we should not say, oh, I want to be like them. So no eating apples. No eating apples. No sleeping with snakes. Nope, none of that. (laughs) Sorry, I know. That was my weekend plans. (laughs) Everybody was hoping to do. And we went and did Fear Factor. Right? (laughs) Good job, America. Good job, Joe Rogan. Yeah. Freaking Joe Rogan. I forgot that that's... Yeah, Yeah. man. Hot damn. On Urantia, our Adam and Eve had children who breastfed until they were a year old and then drank nut milk until they could chew. Very specific. (laughs) They wore clothes in the... This is the Urantia book, though, right? It gives all these weird details. That was was what was so much fun talking about it is, like, he literally thought of everything. Yeah, every detail. Every little detail. It was like Tolkien writing Lord of the Rings. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, this would be a great... Anyway, they wore clothes in the custom of the people of the planet and imbibed light through the tree of life in their garden. So they drank the light. They had a total of 63 children over the course of 117 years before their fall or default. 117 years of childbearing. Mm. Much of their work involved the spiritual education of humanity, whose development had been severely impaired owing to a rebellion by Urantia's planetary spirit, Kalagastya. Ooh, I remember him. Oh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. We were screwed from the start because our our district our manager, yes, our rebelled. district manager, <laughs> decided he was not going to follow corporate policy. <laughs> Calagastia had sided with Lucifer in Lucifer's revolt against God, and this had set Urantia back in terms of its spiritual growth. Everyone was allowed to have their tattoos exposed at work and and wear 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 nose piercings. While the race had a cracker barrel, we weren't allowed to have that stuff, as I recall. While the race had evolved sufficiently. <laughs> Isn't that a thing? Or don't a lot of workplaces. No, yeah. you can't uh, I used to have to cover up my arms. Yeah, they, yeah. They just Retail it, and actually, food yeah. service, they tend to do that kind of thing. Don't want your piercings out. Yeah, because that totally uh, has effect on one's ability to do a job. Yeah. Right. Most jobs nowadays are actually getting rid of that rule or like they're loosening it up. The yeah. tattoos? Yeah. Like as long as your tattoos aren't offensive or right. like have nudity or whatever on them, like you can you can have them. Yeah. Thanks, boomers. All oh, your nudity and tattoos. While the There's race, a lot, though. That's the thing. People get n- naked people tattooed on them all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's not. <laughs> Go for but it. But you can't work at, like, a toy store. <laughs> like, Probably like, not. Probably not. Not Lego. Yeah, I, not Lego. Yeah. I wouldn't want, the, the, like, somebody with, like, a dick tattooed on their arm around a child. <laughs> like, that's just, as a rule. Mall Santas are off the table. <laughs> yeah. what was on his arm after all while the race had evolved sufficiently to warrant an adam and an eve they were still lacking in higher knowledge the race that is uh adam and eve had been warned that they should take no action without consulting the other so they should talk to each other before they do anything sort of like marriage yeah like a good couple like a good communication communicating couple but seripotashia a leading figure of the nodite tribe convinced Eve that it would be wise to produce a child interbred between the Nodites and the Violet people, also known as the race of Adam and Eve because they glow violet. He arranged for Eve to meet the beautiful, enthusiastic, and intellectual Kano. The two had a secret conference where they had sex in order to produce... (laughs) Sex at the conference. (laughs) In order to produce... This evolved. I know everyone wants to. Everyone who's driving with their romantic partner now just wants to pull over and do it. I know. 
just I'm thinking about filling conferences. You. Yeah, yeah, the way exactly. the way I'm telling this story. It has to be <laughs> the boardroom. <laughs> the two had a secret conference where they had sex in order to produce this evolved hybrid progeny, but this was against the divine plan. Heaven had not intended for Adam and Eve to interbreed. Heaven, again, in the Urantia book is an actual place, and it's in the middle of the universe, and the you can go there. Full of bureaucrats, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Large offices, multiple, <laughs> like for real. John's not even yeah. kidding. That's really how it is. I can just imagine the memos being passed around so after. So many memos. Mm-hmm. And they're all written in gold. Um, <laughs> our gold budget is, is through the roof this week. We need to stop with the memos, you guys. But it needs to shine. <laughs> Is that like a tattoo? Do I see a tattoo? Be an email. The tattoo's in gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cover up that dick. These races were not adequately prepared. Are we even, does anyone know what's happening anymore? Okay, so. Yeah. Adam has sex with Kano, who's just a regular guy. Oh, Adam has sex with Kano? Eve. Oh, yes, Eve. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, because the man does nothing wrong. Right. Eve, well, no, it's cup. <laughs> He's going to. Oh, good. Eve has sex with Kano to produce the evolved hybrid progeny. Heaven did not want them to do that. That had not been approved. The memo had not been passed down. These ra- the races, so our race, like the regular people on Earth, were not adequately prepared for this interbreeding yet because, you know, Caligastia, we've been set back. Eve was then cut off from the divine oh, administration. No. So and, they didn't get the memo from, like, the CEO telling right, them that they could that have they could sex have with sex. these people? Yeah, they so needed approval. Yeah. She, she got the pink slip. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like when you have to slip. disclose a relationship to HR. They didn't do that. Uh-oh. So what was, what was the guy's name that convinced Eve? Kano is who she had sex but with. But who's the, who was the guy that convinced her? Serapatasia. Ser- Serpentasia? Yeah, serpent- yeah, yeah. Okay. Ser- Mr. Serpent. Okay. Little Dickensian. It sounds kind of like a girl's name. I kind of like it. Serapatasia. It's a lot of letters. I would If, if your child came name? to me with that name, I would definitely nickname that oh, kid. Oh, no. I was thinking about naming a D&D character. <laughs> I was actually thinking like the same thing. <laughs> Not a child. No humans. <laughs> Need apply. Probably unknown. Uh, so, Adam voluntarily joined Eve by having sex with the nodite educator Leota. Apparently, he couldn't just write a memo. He had to bang an actual other person. Wait, hold on. What? Adam had to... He was like, you just had sex with somebody, so now I get to have sex? I get a whole pass? It's not quite like that. It's almost like a situation where you get cheated on, but you don't want your partner to to like feel so guilty that they you know break up with you, so you go and sleep with somebody. So you're uh, both bad now. Okay. But two wrongs make a right. Yeah, and in this sense, uh, but you're bad in the eyes of of heaven. Oh, which is pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, not really. It's, he wasn't really doing it for Eve. He, I mean, he was because he didn't want her to be by herself. So he went and had sex with somebody else for oh. her. I slept with her for you, honey. Ah. Heaven's HR department is gonna have a nightmare with this. Yeah, okay, like, but to be honest, that's kind of like he like it's took a dan- damnation yeah. because he didn't want her to be alone. That's yeah. kind of sweet. Yeah. Enraged at the Nodites, the people of Eden attacked the tribe's people, blaming them for what happened to their mother. Serapatasia drowned himself in a river. Aw. Because he didn't have legs. <laughs> he tried to swim. Eve gave birth to Cain. Leota gave birth to Sansa. Sansa was cool and all, but mythologically beside the point, Cain, on the other hand, had more work to do. Abel was Adam and Eve's first child outside of Eden. Cain and Abel didn't get along well since Abel was the natural son of Adam and Cain had a different father and his skin didn't glow as much. Cain killed Abel, but much like the biblical story tells, he then left for the land of Nod. Unlike the racist tales of the serpent seed, Cain did not go on to father an inferior race. He actually became a great leader of the Nodites and promoted peace between the Nodites and the Adamites, and his first son 
was Enoch, grandfather of Noah. This much kinder treatment of Cain and the supernatural nature of the violet Eve mating with a human Cano masked the racial tension hidden inside Urantia theology. So, I know, we thought we were off the hook, it was just aliens. But I'm afraid we're not. Mm. We're going to get to eugenics now. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. But wait, also, you promised me that somebody was going to have sex with a snake. I mean, maybe. I'll try. I'll try next. I'm not done yet. What? <laughs> While the Urantia book is not overtly racist, it promotes an ideology that connects neatly with Christian identity and British Israelism, albeit buried in its thousands of pages of detailed planetary creation and administration. <laughs> Following this procreative outpouring of imported ability and super-evolutionary traits, there ensues a succession of rapid strides in civilization and racial development. In 100,000 years, more progress is made than in a million years of formed struggle. On your world, even in the face of the miscarriage of the ordained plans, plans hmm, great progress has been made since the gift of your peoples of Adam's life plasm. But while the pure line children of a planetary garden of Eden can bestow themselves upon the superior members of the evolutionary races and thereby upstep the biologic level of mankind, it would not prove beneficial for the higher strains of Urantia mortals to mate with the lower races. Such an unwise procedure would jeopardize all civilization in your world. Like the racist theories surfacing both before and after its writing, the Urantia book seems to oppose the intermixing of the races, but less than 400 pages later, its advice on marriage is more nuanced and hits at a, hints at a different but still troubling ideology. The book observes the prejudice against hybrid or mongrel people, but such prejudice, its authors say, is the product of interbreeding between the more inferior strains of these races. The book says... You also get unsatisfactory offspring when the degenerate strains of the same race intermarry. So, just shitty people shouldn't fuck. Humanity should embrace intermarrying between genetically superior specimens of varying races. Hybridization yields species improvement because of the role of dominant genes which rise to the top in such pairings. So go ahead, have your girlfriend or boyfriend from another race. That's great. Just make sure your genes are collectively superior. <laughs> you can't we, see we Savannah's face. Yeah. <laughs> really, uh, what the Urantia book advocates is a race-blind eugenic approach to mating. In comparison with Nazi eugenics, the Urantia book would oppose the extermination of any race but it might advocate the sterilization of individuals with less desirable genes, which is also creepy and immoral. So it's not as bad as the Nazis' eugenics, but it's still eugenics, so it's still fucked It's up. still eugenics, yeah. They, yes. Yeah. Just, not as bad still as eugenics. <laughs> <laughs> so the Arantia book liberates serpent seed theory from racism, but lands it in eugenics. <laughs> Zechariah Sitchin's version of the theory, which is rooted more firmly in the realm of aliens and UFOs, does a better job of getting free of these problematic terrestrial concepts. Sitchin argues that a race, we've done Sitchin before as well, that a race of superior beings called the Nephilim colonized Earth early in the planet's history. The Sumerians based their gods on the Nephilim, holding what Sitchin considers to be one of the closest mythologies to the actual history of Earth. Like Lester, Sitchin uses the serpent seed to meld science and religion, physicalizing a spiritual mystery. The species Homo sapiens, he said, arose suddenly in the anthropological record. 
Anthropologists have famously sought a missing link connecting humans to their earlier ancestors without success. Our conversation about dinosaurs and how Savannah was a frog. <laughs> the, the genus Homo evolved over, but John was a land frog. The genus Homo evolved over time. But the species Sapiens were created suddenly by the Nephilim, who bound an image of the gods on an existing creature. Their purpose in creating humans was to form the perfect worker to serve them on planet Earth. And they did so through a genetic manipulation, not unlike how scientists experiment with modified crops and cloned livestock today. Sitchin speculates that the Nephilim may have attempted to create a hybrid species first to satisfy their needs before resorting to genetics. The ape-men, bull-men, and satyrs, and mermaids, and centaurs of mythology suggest this possibility to him. So they were all real. When these intra- what happened to them? They died. They were, you know, hybridization, so hard, hard for them to live. Hybrid beings can't uh, reproduce. Oh. Like, like ligers and mules and all that. Right, like ligers. <laughs> Precisely like ligers. Yeah. Llama tigers. They're all... Wait, what? No, no like, like lion tigers. I'm kidding. This is not where I a expected llama. today to go. Every a llama single tiger. one of us turned to look and that looked at him disgustedly. Oh, not the liger, Rob. dare you? No liger humor here. <laughs> Llama say you. When these intra-animal hybridizations didn't work, the gods decided to mix the ape men's genetics with their own. And Ninti, the mother goddess of the Nephilim, gave birth to Adam. Sitchin believes that the sperm. Can you say that name again? Ninti. You gonna hold on to that one too? Who is she? Ninti. No, I just I was having a conversation with my coworkers today, where one of them told me that George Lucas wanted to name a Sith Lord Icky, and I thought it was that name. Icky. And I was. <laughs> Icky. Darth yeah. Icky. Ninty would have been better. I, but yes, but when you said it, I was like, hold on, did he just say the Darth name? Darth Icky is but hilarious. But then as soon as I was thinking Jar -Jar. about it, I was like, no, it's, oh, it's Jar Jar. <laughs> Jar Jar Icky. goes to the dark side and becomes Darth Icky? <laughs> oh, Jar Jar. <laughs> so, so who is Ninty? Ninty is the mother goddess, and she gives birth to Adam. The mother goddess of, of the, Adam? Or of, of the, the extraterrestrials, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um mixing with the eight men okay yeah uh sitchin believes that the sperm of the male nephilim was inserted into the female homo erectus and their fertilized eggs were then removed from the, the homo erectus and put in the wombs of the female nephilim so she didn't actually have to have sex with the monkey man she just had, yeah gross <laughs> right she's got male sperm and female monkey eggs monkey man okay. eggs monkey woman eggs anyway so she was a surrogate? She's a surrogate, yeah. Artificial insemination, surrogates. Yeah, it's complex technology. These are aliens, after all. They built the pyramids. But how did... But they had to find the right worker Correct. to build the pyramids. That's exactly the problem, which is why we had to go through all of this genetic manipulation. Centaurs just couldn't do it. No, because they you kept... You think that they'd be able to do it the best. What about minotaurs, man? Minotaurs might be better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Minotaurs that would have been absolutely. way but better. But the horns would just get caught. Oh, yeah. that's fair. But the, you could tie the rope Like, like on a ladder, horns. and then like, the put, horns uh, get caught. Put, like, oh. on, like yeah. people do with goats. Yeah. But this was not the serpent seed, because it did not include any concept of a fall. The Nephilim's hybrid creation was sterile, or at least sexual union between male and female humans resulted in no offspring, as we're talking about with centaurs and mermaids. That's why they're not here right now, I skeptics. The Nephilim Enki, uh, Enki, you guys know Enki, perfected a, so the Sumerian god, perfected a means for creating a human that was not sterile, and this was the cause of humanity's fall. The other gods became uncomfortable with a self-perpetuating humanity whose genetics became increasingly diluted as they interbred, creating increasingly biological, biologically different uh, entities from their creators. So 
initially we had the sperm and the egg, hum, human uh, extraterrestrial sperm, human uh, Homo erectus uh, egg, and so we had a hybrid creature. And then Enki figured out a way for those hybrid creatures to have sex with each other and produce offspring. But now we're not incorporating any of that brand new alien sperm, so it's getting all terrestrial up in here. And it's all interbred. Yes, in a way. Yeah. Yep. It's all incest. Like the Garden of Eden. (laughs) To make matters worse, some of the Nephilim directly interbred with these impure humans, causing their own genetic pool to degrade. Sitchin's logic here is a bit strained because he just complained that we didn't have enough alien sperm, and now the aliens are giving their sperm directly from their junk into the people, and he's like, no, that's a problem too. Well, it's just too much alien sperm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fine it's, line when it comes to alien sperm. It's either too much or not enough. Yeah. See, you, I wonder what, if they tried to use human sperm and alien eggs. Hmm. What then? Did they try that? No. Ooh. But we'll go back. We'll, so we'll suggest this. You can. You need <laughs> to direct your. Pr- have to try. <laughs> direct your <laughs> prayers to the Sumerian gods, John, and they will. If they hear you, the oh, Sumerian Gilgamesh. gods. Yeah. Well, he was just a hero. Anyway, or have they forsaken us? We're already too far gone. The Sumerian gods. Well, John's going to try to get him back on the line. <laughs> Thank you, John. I've been on if hold. If anyone can do <laughs> it, I've been on hold. Godspeed. <laughs> Please hold. The Sumerian gods are very busy right now. <laughs> We appreciate your call. Your call is important to us. The gods resolved to destroy their creation with a flood, but the sympathetic Nephilim Enki, you better pray to Enki, revealed their plans to Noah, a man who possessed unique genetic purity, and he he and his children escaped on an ark. So we're a bit purer for that. Like the other serpent seed theories, Sitchin is rewriting Genesis in terms of genetics and their influence on the propagation of the species. But unlike the racist theories or the Urantia book's eugenic program, He doesn't propose any plan of action based on this history. He's simply reinterpreting biblical and Sumerian history in terms of extraterrestrials. These Nephilim left around 560 BCE just after the flood and returned to their home planet, and they haven't been back since. They seem to have no special plans or need for Homo sapiens any longer. John's trying for us, though. Well, hold on, hold on. If they want us back, does that mean we all have to start building pyramids for them? Yeah, it's, it's, it's for our. Yeah, maybe John, you should yeah, get off the phone. Like, hang up, hang up, John. They're yeah, yeah. <laughs> gonna star sixty nine him. See how the signal is at the top of the pyramid. <laughs> They're calling him back. Just, so you, you said you said it was five sixty BC. Five sixty BC is there? That is, seems a little recent, right? It's it's pretty recent. So the five sixty BCE, like it's like the Jews Romans. in Babylon. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the Romans are, they exist. It's not the empire. The yeah, empire yeah. Is the, it's like the, but, the tribes and the start yeah. of the Republic. Right? Rome is forming, sure, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Aliens were at the same time as Rome. They were around, yeah. Wow. Jews in Babylon, yeah. And uh, freaking uh, Aristotle, 500s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lao Tzu, yeah. That's what Sitchin says. I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense if the aliens were here that like Lao Tzu and Confucius are all coming up with these complex philosophies. The oh. Vedas are being written. Yeah, they're all inspired like by the aliens. Part one. It's going all over the place. They see the pyramids and they're inspired. We were dumb as rocks before Ooh, the what... aliens showed up. <laughs> is that what was in Alexandria? It was just what? Alien manuscripts. Oh, yeah. That's what. Oh, yeah. and they got disseminated. They seem Alien to have... semen was in Alexandria. <laughs> Whoa! That's where they kept it. <laughs> that's where they've been hiding it from me. In our fan fiction of. Uh, what, what is that? Uh, the. The. Uh, not Dante. What the hell is it called? With Tom Hanks, that movie, that uh, Angels and Demons was the sequel. What was the original? Oh, I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah. Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci yeah, Code. That's yeah. Da Vinci, yeah, that's our Da Vinci Code sequel. Is us going to steal the alien, the alien sperm, sperm from yeah. Alexandria? Yep. 
Tom Hanks would do it. We could we could also do if we can't afford Tom Hanks, we could do a National Treasure. Ooh, with Nicholas Cage. Exactly. Nicholas Cage would be more willing to do some weird shit like that. He's I'm up in for really like, weird movies. He would like drink it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he would artificially inseminate himself with alien sperm <laughs> for a bit. We're more likely awesome. to get like Rob McElhaney to do this. Um, or David Spade. <laughs> David Spade. <laughs> Charlie Day's not available. <laughs> I think we got ourselves a fucking movie. Danny DeVito? Can we get Danny DeVito? DeVito would do it. He, he did like... that shitty Haunted House movie. He would do this. Haunted House DeVito is, is the godmother. Yeah. <laughs> or the mother goddess. Uh, he's the librarian. Ooh. I, was, I was thinking he was the alien that provided. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get out of this episode. Oh, you started this. Sitchin, in a way, no, I didn't start this one. I just kept going. Sitchin is so concerned with the motives of the gods that he misses any explanation of the human's own experience. He adopts the attitude of his Sumerian extraterrestrials, who, with possible exception of Enki, seem to regard humanity as livestock. This misses the focus of Genesis on the experience of Adam and Eve. The joy of paradise is a worker's camp, and the shame of the fall is simply procreative sex. Sitchin's work is wildly creative, and now he writes across ancient traditions, archaeological discoveries, and scientific theories, but it misses the mythological power of the sources it seeks to explain. It explains them away without uncovering any of their richness or complexity. In conclusion, the fa- we've really earned this one today, friends. <laughs> the phallic nature of the serpent tempts the reader to see in this character something other than a snake particularly since this slithering phallus succeeds in tempting the first female to do what she isn't supposed to do. Is the serpent a dildo? Sex has a way of co-opting the forbidden into the realm of the erotic, after all. The sensual indulgence of eating fruit similarly maps very nicely onto the creatural pleasures of sex, but this symbolism can only be effectively mined for meaning if the rest of the story isn't too badly marred by the interpretation. Sex, after all, is part of God's plan and an important part of Genesis, with men and women cleaving to each other and being fruitful and multiplying before they're even named. Sex isn't wrong, but there appears to be a sexual dimension to Eve's mistake, if it even was a mistake. In reinterpreting God as Yaldabaoth, the Gnostics revealed the trouble in a story where the deity falsely threatens his creation with death and wants to keep them from knowing or understanding. Modern interpreters are too blunt in the way they attempt to explain away this profound mystery. Eve's fall is complex on a literal, metaphysical, and metaphorical level, and its true meaning is perhaps too occult to ever find its way into a racist sermon or mass-market paperback. When all else fails, there's always Pascal Beverly Randolph, whose version of the serpent seed theory is probably my favorite, although it is tantalizingly incomplete. How did Job invent the telegraph after all? Final thoughts, friends. I can't remember a single thing. Yeah, just I'll, I'll, I'm just, just thinking about after all the minotaurs. talking of like alien jism. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just we've tapped you. You're all spent. <laughs> He's empty. Uh, you know, <laughs> if they just consider us livestock, then like that's fine. Like, just don't bother us anymore. I don't right. want to get eaten. I hear that. Sure. I don't want to get eaten. Either. <laughs> I'm with that. All right. I think I do prefer the 
the Urantia versus the aliens. Yeah. If yeah, you leave yeah, the yeah. eugenics out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to Sitchin, you mean the Nephilim? Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I, I hear that. The but it's, it's just. It just gives it, just, it gives humanity a little bit more meaning than. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, you guys were livestock. It's yeah. closer to. Yeah, it's closer to. I think the Genesis story. Randolph is probably closest in my opinion, but. I think that you're right. Your ranch is closer. Yeah. And it, it's kind of, I think we talked about this on the Urantia episode. It's like a fun concept until they get to the eugenics thing. Yeah. It's like, like if you don't think, if you don't, if you just cut that bit out, it's kind of it's a fun like, sci-fi like, thing. Yeah. It's yeah. Cool yeah. sci-fi lore until you get to eugenics, which unfortunately <laughs> that's a lot of things. You can leave it out. I think it, it, in the thousand pages, the eugenics is not like a point that they're making over and over again. It's, yeah. it's just sort of like, it's in all the complex lore and bureaucracy of the system. But I mean, there is a, an important point to be made about when it is appropriate to interbreed between the people who are glowing and the people who are just yeah, us. that's true too. So that has that's naturally going to lend itself to eugenic thought. At the time, Urantia book was written. I don't think it was a foregone conclusion that eugenic thought was awful. Like Hitler really like put the nail in that coffin. Uh, but there were reasonable people who were trying to make arguments for how this could work. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I heard there was like a like a really famous scientist who, it isn't talked about much, but she was very, very heavily into eugenics. Wasn't it? Wasn't there something about like like uh, like skull shape or something well, like that? Well, skull shape was that was a racist idea in the 19th century. I don't yeah, know I thought it. there was like a famous a famous like female scientist in the early 1900s that was heavily involved in eugenics. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that wouldn't have been... I mean, that's. I guess that it theoretically goes to eugenics, but it just says that your skull has something to do with your intelligence and okay. that different races have different skull shapes. Therefore, certain races are smarter than so others. So it's more so just racist rather it's than eugenics. It's just flat racism. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Gotcha. Not eugenics. The good old-fashioned racism. Good old-fashioned racism. Here on Occult Confessions, let's close us up. <laughs> no, yeah, we're not going to close it. <laughs> I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors until such time as we get together and do it again. Joining me around the circle, we have Savannah Barrett, our sister of the 84th degree. Goodbye. Johnny Cook, our oh. patron pro. Bye. <laughs> Rats and Walls. Later. Silver Tongue Shadow. Uh, and Andrew Mims, who has to do an introduction with me because now he's here. Toodaloo. <laughs> uh, who can't be, his name can't be spoken. My name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson. I am your Supreme Hierophant. And we'll catch you next time for our two parts on Lilith here on A Call Confessions.